0: truly, or depending on your translation, the very truly statements of Jesus. These statements in scripture where Jesus draws our attention closer to the truth of something he's saying, truly, truly, I say unto you, or very truly, I say unto you. And one of the things that excites me about this series in particular is that sometimes these statements are going to be familiar. Like if you've been in church for any length of time at all, you'll probably have heard sermons on them. Other times, these statements of Jesus are going to come from the more obscure passages that are not as heavily preached. So there's going to be a lot to offer here. I have the pleasure of preaching both the first sermon in this series and the last sermon in this series, and the greater pleasure of being able to illuminate uh, two of the less preached through passages in the book of John. But before we get into our series today, though, I would like to have a family discussion. Uh, And as part of this, I'd like to share a fear that I have with you uh, about what's going on over the next little while. As you know, Drew is on sabbatical. Pastor Drew is taking some time off. And, you know, I love Drew. Drew is a good man. Drew is a good friend of mine. He's pastored us well. He's pastored me personally uh, very well. And I'm so excited that Drew and his family get to have this time to rest Rejuvenate, reconnect with each other, reconnect with the Lord. Pastors need times like this, um, and, and I'm really glad that he's getting it. But I am also a selfish sinner, and so I, there's part of me uh, that is going to miss him. And, and I I just I'm gonna, listen. I'm gonna get I'm gonna miss getting hugged by his just super long arms. <laughs> I am. I'm I'm not a hugger, so please don't try. But there's just something. <laughs> Uh, there's something about being enveloped in his wingspan that I'm going to miss, and that along with the conversation and the connection. And I know that many of you feel similar, similarly. So and it's this feeling that leads to my fear. And I fear that throughout Drew's sabbatical we're going to see a drop in attendance on Sunday mornings uh, and a drop in participation in weekly activities. And so in response to this fear, I would like to remind us of a couple of things this morning, and they're both just straight out of the Bible. Uh, The first thing is that Jesus, not Pastor Drew, is the ultimate head of this church. And the great thing about Jesus, very encouragingly, Jesus is not known for needing days off. (laughs) And so encouragingly with, with that, we can expect that he's going to keep ministering here. And I wanna point us to the Bible and admonish us with some truth from Hebrews chapter 10, verses 23 through 25 that says, let us hold unswervingly to the hope we profess for he who promised is faithful and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. You know what's gonna happen? over the next 11 weeks of Drew's sabbatical? Well, Jesus is going to minister to Drew and his family. And Jesus is going to minister to you, and he's going to minister to me, and he's going to keep being the head of this church and leading us with the same incredible awesomeness that he always does. So keep showing up. And and let me just tell you some more about what's going to happen. Over the next 11 weeks, you are going to hear nine different speakers talking through the truly, truly statements of Jesus in the Gospel of John. That's nine unique people with nine unique lives and nine unique sets of giftings from the Holy Spirit. What, what a set of riches we enjoy as a church that when two of our pastors, two of our preachers are on sabbatical, we still have nine people that can talk through the Gospel of John. Uh, in addition to that, over the next 11 weeks, we're going to have VBS, and the men and women are going to do stuff, and the youth are going to do stuff, and there's going to be Wednesday night stuff, and there's probably going to be other days of the week stuff too. We got stuff, okay? Okay. What's going to happen over the next 11 weeks is that we're going to keep being the church. And we're going to keep showing up. And we're going to keep worshiping the Lord. And he's going to keep working in our lives. So let's prove my fear wrong. Deal? All right. Now we got the family discussion out of the way. Let's get to the truly, truly statements of Jesus in the gospel of John. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5 says this. In the beginning was the word... So John begins his gospel by teaching us about Jesus. And indeed, that is one of the main purposes of John's gospel, to reveal Jesus in all his glory. And these five verses are a be- the beginning of that, and-, and they are a great start. We learn so much here. We learn that Jesus is the ultimate representation of God's word. We learn that he has been with God since the beginning and that he is also God. We learn that everything is made through him and nothing is in existence without him. And finally, we learn that in him is the life that is the light for all mankind, which darkness cannot overcome. That is a great way to open a gospel. Volumes of commentary have been written on these verses and what they reveal and what it means for us. And due to the fact that Jesus is such a monumental figure, we spend a lot of time talking about his revealed awesomeness that has existed since before anything else. And rightly so, because he's Jesus. His awesomeness, even just as seen in these verses, I mean, it must have been super evident to everyone throughout time, right? No, we know that's not true. And John knew it wasn't true. We get to verses 10 and 11. He was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. See, the Jewish people of Jesus' day lived in full expectation of a Savior. They were waiting for the Messiah to come. Yet when he was here, the vast majority of them completely missed him. He made them. They were his people. They knew what to look for. I told you that the Jewish people were extremely familiar with the scriptures. They knew the family that he was going to come from. They knew the location that he was going to be born in. They knew the actions that he would take. But because he didn't look exactly like they thought he would, based on their expectations, they missed him. Because he didn't do exactly what they thought he would do, the way they thought he would do it, they missed him. And I wonder, are we different? Verse 14, the word became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father, full of grace and truth. We are so incredibly blessed that we get to look back on the full ministry of Jesus as revealed in Scripture. And we absolutely have seen his glory as described and illuminated within Scripture. And in addition to that, those of us who already have relationship with Jesus, we each have our own testimony of Jesus in our lives. But I wonder if our experiences of Jesus have so focused our expectations of him that we are missing a bigger picture that he would like us to see. I wonder if the familiarity that we enjoy with Jesus has narrowed our view the same way the expectations of the Jews narrowed theirs. And this wondering takes us right into our focus scripture of the day and to our first very truly I tell you statement of Jesus. We're still going to be in John chapter 1, but we're going to skip to the part that people don't typically read. We're going to go to the very end where Jesus is calling Philip and Nathaniel to be his disciples. And let me just tell you what the goal today is. The goal today is to look at Nathaniel's initial response to Jesus, which is spot on, by the way, but then to take time to understand what Jesus says next. Because it's the understanding of what Jesus says next that I would like to take with us through the rest of this series, but also into our lives as well, because it can be very formative. And so with that, let's dive in. John chapter 1, verses 43 through 46. The next day, Jesus decided to leave for Galilee. Finding Philip, he said to him, follow me. Philip, like Andrew and Peter, was from the town of Bethsaida. Philip found Nathanael and told him, we have found the one Moses wrote about in the law and about whom the prophets also wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? Nathanael asked. Come and see, said Philip. So Jesus is going to go to Galilee and he wants to take some guys with him. And Philip, one of those guys, goes to get Nathanael, who, as we read, is a bit skeptical. And I've heard this talked about somewhat humorous, like Nazareth, what can come from from Nazareth? But, but that's not what, I don't think that's what's going on here. Remember what I said a moment ago. The Jews knew what to expect. They knew where the Savior was supposed to come from, and it wasn't from Nazareth. The Savior is not supposed to be of Nazareth. The Savior is supposed to be of Bethlehem, as attested by the prophet in Micah chapter 5. So I think Nathaniel's question here about Nazareth gives us a sense of who he is. I think we see that Nathaniel is a good Jew, Who knows what scripture says, and he's not going to acknowledge a savior outside of that. Of Nazareth, this doesn't add up. But despite his skepticism, the hope of a savior is enough that he follows Philip to come and see, to meet with Jesus, and this is what happens in verses 47 through 49. When Jesus saw Nathanael approaching, he said of him, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. How do you know me? Nathanael asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. And then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. What just happened? What just... Jesus seems to know Nathanael. But Nathanael is not sure how. And when he asks how, Jesus' answer somehow convinces him that Jesus is the promised Savior, the the Messiah. Now, I'm fine saying that Jesus is God, and that's how he knows Nathaniel. Jesus knows a whole bunch of stuff in Scripture that surprises people, so I'm fine about that. But what is it about being seen under a fig tree that would lead Nathaniel to describe Jesus as he does here? I mean, he goes from Nazareth to Rabbi, Son of God, King of Israel, very, very quickly, And I'll tell you, I read a number of commentaries about this to try and bring you an explanation that made sense, and I completely failed, okay? Four of the five commentaries I read, the commentators were just like, yeah, I don't know. (laughs) And the last one, beautiful scriptural argument, would take about five minutes to walk through here, but it still ended with, yeah, maybe. Uh, Uh, I don't know. And honestly, the more I thought about it, the more okay I am with that. Because there's often times when Jesus ministers to me that I'm like, you know what? There's just no way I could explain that to somebody else. Whatever is going on here is so impactful and so personally directed to Nathaniel that Nathaniel is going to walk away from everything he knows in life and follow Jesus eventually to his own martyrdom. This is a revelation moment moment. For Nathaniel, a beautiful light bulb moment when all of a sudden Nathaniel knows Jesus and Jesus becomes all that matters. One moment Jesus is the supposed Messiah and the next he is Nathaniel's Messiah and Nathaniel's life is instantly different. And maybe you can look back uh, on a moment like this in your own life. You know, some people have these beautiful testimonies of knowing God and following God throughout their whole lives. They literally can't remember a time that they didn't follow God. And that's, I mean, that's beautiful. But then there are other people like myself and Nathaniel who need beautiful moments with Jesus to get our lives on track. When I started living for Jesus, I, I mean, I'll never forget the moment. It was a single moment that is perfectly ingrained in my brain, a moment that I would have happily lived in forever. No Other event in my life has changed my life more than that moment. Not getting married, not having kids. This is the moment that absolutely altered the trajectory of my life. And I think that Nathaniel would say something similar about his encounter with Jesus. And we like to live in these moments, but there's something to note here. Even though Nathaniel has had the revelation that Jesus is the Messiah... This encounter is not over. Nathanael's initial response to Jesus is beautiful, and it's correct. Rabbi, son of God, king of the Jews. It's life-altering, but Jesus still has something to say in response, and he's going to make clear that that initial revelation, Rabbi, son of God, king of Israel, it doesn't even scratch the surface of who Jesus really is. Let's look and see what Jesus says. John chapter one, verses 50 and 51. Jesus said, you believe because I told you I saw you under the fig tree. You will see greater things than that. And verse 51, he then added, and here's our truly statement for the day. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man. So verse 50 is a wonderful promise Jesus acknowledges Nathanael's belief and then gives him a promise of even more incredible things to come to which we all no doubt say, yes, please, Jesus. And then we come to verse 51, our very truly verse for today. Very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There are a couple of things that are really interesting about this. The first is that in the very truly statement... When Jesus says you, the version of the word that he's using in the original language is plural. He's saying you all. So what he's saying is very truly, I tell you all, you all will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. So it's not just for Nathanael anymore. This is for all of his disciples. The second thing about what Jesus says here that's really interesting is that this as an event never happened. None of the disciples, according to what we read in Scripture, ever saw heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. It didn't happen. But that's because Jesus is not describing an event that will happen in his life. What Jesus is doing here is referring to two specific visions from the Old Testament to teach them and us who he is. See, Nathaniel and the other disciples, and, and no doubt you and I, Think that we have a grasp of who Jesus is. Rabbi, son of God, king of the Jews. But Jesus references these two visions to make clear that when it comes to him, there is so much more going on than we are ever going to be able to grasp this side of heaven. So let's look at the scripture that Jesus is referencing to try and get a sense of what Jesus is saying here. And to do this, we're going to go all the way back to the book of Genesis. We'll be in Genesis chapter 28. And we're going to start in verse 10, and it says this. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. So some context to begin. You may know that Jacob eventually becomes the father of the 12 tribes of Israel. In fact, he has his name changed to Israel, and then he becomes the father of the 12 tribes. This event, what we're reading here, is years before that. On this trip of Jacob, he's fleeing from his home, out of fear that his brother is going to kill him, and he's trying to get to where his other family lives, his other people are, to hopefully find a wife. So for him, there is a lot of uncertainty right now about what his future holds or if he even has one. And we come to verses 11 through 13. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. Taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its top reaching to heaven, and the angels of God were ascending and descending on it, and there above it stood the Lord. So Jacob goes to sleep, and he has a vision of a stairway with angels going up and down and God at the top. So the stairway represents the bridge spanning the separation between God and humanity. And again, God is there at the top looking down upon Jacob, and he's going to pronounce this blessing in verses, the rest of 13 through 15. And he said, I am the Lord, the God of your father Abraham, and the God of Isaac. I will give you and your descendants the land on which you are lying. For his future, his family is taken care of by the promise of God. God's going to bless Jacob with land. He's going to bless Jacob with a family. He's going to bless Jacob with his presence. Without yet naming him Israel, God promises Jacob what will eventually become Israel. This is an incredible promise. And then Jacob wakes up. And we get to verses 16 and 17. When Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place, and I was not aware of it. And don't miss this. He was afraid and said, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. Surely the Lord is in this place, and I missed it. The words afraid and awesome here, he was afraid and said, how awesome. Uh, that's actually the same word used in two different ways. The the first word, the first usage is exactly what it suggests. He's afraid. He's in the presence of God and wasn't aware of it. And if you're going to be in someone's presence and not aware of it, God is not the right choice. He needs to be aware of this. But the second usage here, translated as awesome, it suggests not only awe, but reverence as well. So Jacob is having seemingly two simultaneous thoughts. He's afraid, oh, no, who who am I to be here? And he's reverentially awed. I can't believe I'm actually here with God. This is the vision that Jesus points his disciples to in order to teach them about who he is. So let's now consider it in the light of exactly what Jesus said. Because what Jesus said is, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. There's a key difference between Jacob's vision and what Jesus describes. Notice what the angels are ascending and descending on. No longer is the bridge spanning the separation between God and man a stairway. That's not what Jesus describes. What Jesus says is that the bridge spanning the separation between God and man, well, that bridge is now the Son of Man. And Son of Man is Jesus' favorite title for himself. He uses it 81 times, or it is used about him 81 times in the gospel. So what does it mean that Jesus is the Son of Man? Well, that takes us to the second vision that Jesus refers to in Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. In my vision at night, I looked, and there before me was one like a Son of Man, coming with the clouds of heaven, He approached the Ancient of Days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and peoples of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. So not only is Jesus telling Nathaniel and the disciples and you and I that he is now the bridge between heaven and earth, he's telling them that he's going to bring about a kingdom that will never be destroyed. He's telling them that the promises of God going all the way back to Jacob, the father of their people, they're going to be fulfilled through him. He's telling them of his authority, of his glory, of his sovereign power. He's revealing a future to them that will come through him that is beyond their wildest expectations of who he was or what he would accomplish. When Jesus says, very truly, I tell you, you will see heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man, he's telling them and us that in him and through him, there is so much more going on than our minds can yet comprehend. He's telling us that our approach to him should be Who am I to be here with you? And at the same time, I can't believe that I'm actually here with you. Friends, when we consider the immensity of Jesus in our lives, it should boggle the mind. He is our rabbi. He is the son of God. He is the king of Israel, but that's not all. He's the bridge between heaven and earth. He's the word of God that is also God who came from heaven to dwell with us. He is the son of man given authority. He is the son of man given glory. glory. He is the son of man given sovereign power. He's the son of man given an eternal kingdom that will never pass away. He is, he is, he is. The list goes on forever. We can never say enough about Jesus. And that means That complacent familiarity and narrow expectations have no place in our relationship with Him. Worship team, come on up. Here's my challenge to you as we close today Don't let what you already know or what you have already experienced keep you from knowing and experiencing more. Over the next 10 weeks, we're gonna study scripture you probably know and scripture you probably don't. I hope today through this sermon, that you realize there's a lot more going on in Jesus' conversation with Nathaniel than you were aware of. And I hope you further realize that that is always the case when it comes to Jesus. So don't come to church as we go through this series expecting what you have already experienced or expecting what you already know. Rather, come expecting that Jesus has more for you because he does And do the same in your personal study time. Jesus met Nathanael personally. And he'll do the same with you. And he's going to say the same thing to you, maybe with some different words, but basically the same thing to you that he said to Nathanael. And it's going to come down to this. There's so much more. There's so much more. So it's my prayer today that you will leave knowing that the more that Jesus has, he wants to give it to you. The question is, will you allow yourself beyond the comfort of your current knowledge and expectations to experience the more that Jesus has for you? I hope you will. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for the Gospel of John. I want to thank you for what we can learn. I want to thank you that there is always more that if we dedicate our lives to you from the first day we're born to the day that we give up our final breath and join you, that we're not gonna come to the end of you. Lord, your immensity, help it to humble us. Open our eyes to the beauty that is there beyond what we already see so that we can come to know you more, so that we can come to see you more clearly, and so that our expectations can be adjusted to know that there is always more, and you're always ready to give it. Be with us, Lord, and bless us. In Jesus' name we pray.